In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, beloved Orthodox Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, we have come to celebrate the Nativity of our Savior, the Nativity of Christ our Lord. When that, some more than 2,000 years ago, in a small town of Bethlehem where David the prophet had been born before, in a country of Judea, in one of the most obscurest provinces of the Roman Empire, the backwater of civilization, there in obscurity, not in great palaces, not in, in with, with grandees of this world, not with the emperors, not with the generals, not with the heroes of this world, but in a small and humble cave, being son of a humble woman, not having even an inn where to lay her head in humility, in obscurity, in silence, in the, dark, in the dark of the night, that's where our Savior was born. Therefore, let us ask ourselves, what is it theologically? What does it mean when we say it Christ was born? What do the fathers teach us? What do, does the church teach us theologically? What do we confess when we say Christ was born? Today is the day to talk about this. It means, beloved Christians, this. The Church teaches that even before the creation of the world, the Holy Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the eternal, uncreated God, had a pre-eternal council. That is, among the three persons of the Trinity, they had a pre-eternal council, not only concerning the creation of the world, in order to create the world and as a pinnacle of the created world to put a man, that is, the image of perfect image of God, but also in the pre-eternal council of the Holy Trinity was the deliberation concerning incarnation, how to bring this image, perfect image of God, to be in constant harmonious unity with the Godhead. Therefore, that there should be an incarnation, that God should condescend towards human beings in order to assume and bring them towards them and to unite them to themselves. This was deliberated in the pre-eternal council of the Holy Trinity even before the creation of the world. And God worked tirelessly, tirelessly so that this would happen. So that not only there was a creation and a beautiful creation as a pinnacle of this creation being the image of God that is man, but also that man, even though he fell, even though he disregarded the, and was disobedient and, and fell from grace, still God would condescend and hold his hand and bring him up and unite him to himself. This is called the incarnation. When one of the Holy Trinity, the God, the Son, Son of the Father, assumed human nature as well, so that in his person, in the person of God the Son, here we have some, the, uh, God who also assumed human nature, so that he possesses both the divine nature, which is coessential and co-substantial with the Father and the Holy Spirit, and human nature, with which he is coessential and consubstantial with every single one of us, so that in him, in one person of the Son of God, humanity and divinity come together in a most harmonious way, in a way that is impossible either to mix or to separate, in a most perfect, harmonious way in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God and God himself. The humanity and divinity are harmoniously together. 
so that the will of man and the will of God are in accordance in our Savior. Him possessing both human nature and divine nature and human will and divine will, in him they are in perfect harmony. So that no, what, no human being could ever do to be entirely obedient to God's will, that was done in our Savior when he assumed human nature and brought in perfect harmony the divine and the human. This is what the incarnation means. And he didn't do it just for one occasion, for one season. This is unto eternity. He united to himself creaturehood. He united to himself the humanity without separation, without mixing with its divinity, forever, unto eternity. That is how much God loved his creation. That is how much God loved that humanity should be united to him, that unto eternity he united humanity to himself. But let us ask ourselves, yes, we know God assumed humanity, and in him the divine and human are together, they're united. How do we participate in this? Because one thing is that our Savior assumed human nature, another is that us individually as human beings should be participants of this uh, new uh, reality, of this assumed human nature which is with the divinity of our Savior. How do we participate? By being members of his body. And how do we become members of this body? By being faithful members of the church because the church is his body. That is the means of us participating in Christ's humanity so that by being members, by being constant communicants of his body, we also become participants of his divinity with which his body is always united. That is why the church is the ark of salvation. That is why when we enter into the church, we are clothed with Christ. That is, we become participants of his body. And that is why the mystery of mysteries is the holy communion, participating constantly of the body and blood, our Savior, which is inseparable from his divinity. And by partaking of his body, we partake also of his divinity. That is, his grace, his energy, which always uh, uh, illuminates from his essence. That is what God offered to us. And his body is like the lump of leaven that is able to leaven the whole of the, do of the dough. That is, his body is able to defy all the humanity. Would that humanity want to be defied? If that is why it is important to be constant communicants of the church, that is why it's important to re-consecrate uh, ourselves constantly to the church by the communion that we receive. That is why it's important that the bond that we have with the church should, should go always grow always stronger. Because by us growing inside the church, by us growing spiritually with the church, that way we become more and more open to the grace to come and to uh, uh, irrigate constantly our hearts. Therefore, this is what our Savior does by his incarnation that we are celebrating today. He was born for this sake, so that to unite humanity to his divinity and give us access 
to his divinity through the humanity that he assumed. It's a wondrous, angels could not, were, were amazed when they saw how wisely, how incredibly wisely God had devised the plan of our salvation. Let us therefore celebrate this nativity, Christmas of us, uh, the, the uh, birth of our Savior with these thoughts in our minds. Let us come like uh, the Magi did and like the shepherds, bringing gifts to him, knowing how great a thing has happened tonight in the world, that the Savior of the world was born. But what should we bring with us? The Magi brought their gifts, the, as the beautiful hymn of the church tells us, that every, every part of creation brought their gifts to the newborn God-man. The angels brought their praise. The earth gave a cave to, as, 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 as an hospitality to, to our Savior. The Magi traveled from Persia to bring their gifts because they knew that he was truly the Savior of the world. The shepherds came and brought their wonder and praise. And all of us should be there present. But what can we bring? What does God ask of us? He asks our hearts. That's what he wants. He claims our hearts. He says, those hearts belong to me. You came, I baptized you, I clothed you with myself. I want your heart. Not parts of it, not half of it. All of it. That is why in the Old Testament, our God is called a jealous God. And many people can't understand what does it mean, jealous God. This is what it means, that he's jealous that a heart should be divided. If a man and a woman, man and wife, can it be possible that there should be love between them if the woman says that only half of my heart belongs to you? Or if a man tells his wife, oh, only a quarter of the heart belongs to you, the rest is somewhere else? Of course not. That would be an insult. It would be an impossible relationship. That, but he is the bridegroom of our souls. He, we, our souls are his brides, and therefore he claims our hearts. And he asks that all of it should belong to it. And if it doesn't, he is jealous. He's jealous because we are his creation. We created him and we divide our heart between the world and the wickedness and the world and him. Of course he is jealous. In that sense, he is a jealous God because he claims what belongs to him. He belongs to him because he created us. Our hearts belong to him and because he redeemed us also and saved us also. Therefore, let us bring to him new commitment, saying that uh, from this feast forward, my heart belongs to our Savior. And whatever may happen, my heart will belong to him. And let us tidy up. Let us clean it so that it will be like that beautiful little humble cave, both clean and humble at the same time. And that's why it was worthy of our Savior to come and to lay his head in that cave in the manger. Let our hearts become the caves that will invite, give hospitality to our Savior. And our Savior seeing the both humility and beauty, purity of our hearts, of the caves of our hearts, will want to stay with us. So be it. Amen.